you're tuned to Tidings, and I'm Hazel Kahn. It's with great pleasure today that I introduce you to Dr. Michael Conforti. He is a Jungian analyst and the founder and director of the Assisi Institute. He's also author of numerous books and articles. Dr. Conforti also, this is for Connecticut listeners, he has a private practice in Mystic, Connecticut, and we're very honored to have him. Welcome, Michael, to Tidings and, and to Thank WPKN. You. I've followed your work for many years, but I've never felt the same urgency as I did after listening to your webinar last week titled Slaughter of the Innocents, mm. an archetypal understanding of the tragedy of school shootings, which I understand is also the second in a new theme from the Assisi Institute of Crimes Against Humanity, Slaughter of the Innocents. It's such a dramatic way of talking about these killings. In the Bible, there's something called the Massacre of the Innocents, and it's a nativity story. It's a story where when King Herod, the king back then, heard that there was going to be a new king being born, he decided he was going to kill all the children, two years and under. The slaughter, I thought about, because what's going on right now is it's historical, it's part of our history, and it's such an unimaginable tragedy that people are able to really come into our schools and, and take our kids and destroy them. It's from another world, from another time. Mm. Innocent, freedom, future, many things are being slaughtered. I think slaughter captures the word. All the way through your talk, you were saying, what in God's name is going on? So tell us. Well, number one, I don't think any of us really know for sure what's going on. And medical researchers, they try to understand what is really going on with, with the disease. What are the mechanisms? What are the dynamics? What feeds the disease? What feeds cancer? And I, we know there are symptoms out, symptoms and remedies we're using, but it's not addressing what is going on. There's an entrance or something. And you begin to realize these events are emerging out of some context. If we don't understand that context, we're going to do everything that's basically prophylactic, but we're never dealing with the issue. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm trying to do. So your question, what is going on? Do we have any history about this? Has anything in the past happened that tells us about children being killed? Mm. Well, let's begin with the Bible. In the Bible, as I said a moment ago, King Herod killed hundreds and hundreds of kids because he didn't want there to be a new king. And he knew it. the story of the birth of Jesus represented a new order, a new future, mm -hmm. a new way of living in the world, a type of redemption that was going to come. And he said, I don't want anything new. I want to keep it the way it is right now. And I want no threat to my authority and no threat to my, to my kingdom. And I'm going to destroy anything that could represent a new order. Mm -hmm. And the rest is history, right? And the rest is history, but but you have other examples from the yeah. And the other big one I've been disturbed by for years is the story of Abraham and Isaac. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of versions of it, but one story says God he actually asked Abraham, he said, To prove your love for me, take your son and sacrifice your son for me. That will prove your love. And Abraham said, Of course, my my dear Lord, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to to prove it because I adore you and, and I worship you. And thus began the trek up the Mount Moriah. And by the way, Sarah was never asked. You know, in almost all the stories in the Bible and history and fairy tales, the, the mother was never asked if it's okay to slaughter the child. It's a male doing it. So he begins his trek up Mount Moriah, sacred mountain. You know, at some point, Isaac says, well, father, where is the animal we're going to slaughter? And humanity has evolved from infanticide and killing of the 
of the children to killing of animals, which is part mm-hmm. of the evolution. So, well, God will provide for us. Rembrandt, I believe it, has one of the most powerful images of the slaying of Isaac, mm-hmm. where you see this boy stretched out on his stone and the father with the knife about to plunge the knife into the kid and kill him. Mm-hmm. So the angel stepped in and said, no, you know, this is not going to happen. The story is powerful for many, many reasons. One is it's framed as a sacrifice. And sacrifice was confused with slaughter. The etymology of sacrifice in Latin, sacrificare, is, means to make sacred. When you sacrifice, it means it takes something you love and you offer it to God, but it's got to be something of yours. I offer my eyes to God. I offer my, my, my money, my tithing. I offer whatever. I'll, I'll work all day long to build a church like St. Francis did. This is my sacrifice. You can't offer somebody else as your sacrifice. Now, I understand that somebody could be listening and say, well, come on. It's only a story, Mike. It's a symbol. Mm-hmm. The psyche is so profound, it's going to use stories and images in a very precise, laser-like way. It's not just a story. And it's a backstory that I think Hazel gives us a key to what's going on with these, with these shootings. So Abraham, under the guise of sacrifice, was willing to take the life of another person, believing he was doing it for God and for a higher purpose. Nowhere did he admit it was a slaughter. Eli Wiesel, one of the greatest theologians of our time, who passed away about three years ago now, mm-hmm. and he said, why was Abraham asked by God to do this? This is not a religion class, okay? I'm walking you through what I did to get to this, some of these answers I have. Anyway, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, wanted to have a child. And they were both very old. Sarah said, my, my good husband, I can't offer you a child. Have a child with Hagar, mm-hmm. the slave girl. And God said, yes, do what your wife says. And they have a child, and it's called Ishmael. Well, somehow, miraculously, Sarah, years later, gets pregnant, maybe when Ishmael is five or six years old. And she says, my dear husband, we have a son. Get rid of that illegitimate son you have now. So in the story, he banishes the son and Hagar into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. So Eli Wiesel asked, was God really trying to tempt or challenge Abraham to do the right thing? Are you going to slaughter another kid? Here are two times he was willing to slaughter and give away these kids for what he believed to be a sacrificial moment. Mm-hmm. Now, next question is, why a child? Why are there so many stories of children that are killed? Why do we have so much in today's culture about the sex trade with children that are the objects of desire? People paying thousands of dollars to have sex with children. Children represent our future. The new order, like the story of Jesus, the new order that was to be born. Talking about Jesus, by the way, God also sacrificed his son, right? Oh, thank you. Exactly. Thank you. Mm. The child represents our belief in tomorrow, Hazel. So they take the symbol of the future and they want to keep it to themselves or destroy it. Now, where it ties into the story of the school shooting is you take these, these kids the shooters. Many of them are deeply, deeply disturbed kids, and they cannot be living with any sense of a future. Their lives are dismal. Their future has been eroded by years of disappointment, years of hatred, years of abandonment. They see in these kids something that they will never have in their life. And what the human psyche has learned to do from the beginning of time is we destroy what we believe we can never have. And that's what's called envy. Okay, And envy has been called one of the six or seven greatest sins humanity has ever known. Where jealousy is, I'm jealous of what you have and whatever. Envy says, 
I don't even want to look at what you have. Because if I look at that, it's going to remind me and make me realize and taste all the things I'm never going to have. I'm never going to have that meal. I'll never have a marriage that will be good. I'll never have any joy in my life. So you know what? I'll kill anything that looks like joy or future because I don't have it. This is the crux of your thesis. So I want to make sure we understand it. Envy is different from jealousy. Because envy goes with death. Jealousy is more of a passing thing. Jealousy attaches maybe to objects or something more transient. Envy can only be assuaged through obliteration. All right, thank you. Exactly right and beautifully put. I use the image in my lecture. Imagine somebody starving. And they're looking, they got their nose up against the window of a great restaurant. They see people eating and imbibing and enjoying one another and laughing and, and, and having a good time. And they, and they realize all they want is to put their finger in a little taste of wine and taste it. They're never going to get it. So what you do is you find some way to destroy it. But what you're saying is that these school killers, they've got their face pressed against the school wall, the school room or the school playground. or Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, so say more about that, because that's the image that I definitely carried away with me. I still have it. I imagine them, hands against the window, looking into the school. I mean, you, you think about a school. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and schoolyards are a big part of our life. You play ball there, you go with your friends, you, pray, you begin flirting and all that stuff you do. It's all part of a life as a young person. And they believe they're never going to get it. And so, you know, the, the next piece is, well, what's true? Why in America? In the past 10 years in America, 288 school shootings in the past 10 years in America. We're number mm-hmm. one in the world. Number two, Mexico. Do you know what Mexico has? Eight. Eight? Eight. Mm-hmm. The, on the bottom of the list, Russia and China and Hungary with one or two. There's something going on here. And we can't just attribute it to guns. Take away guns, you're going to use bombs. You're going to use stupid, dirty bombs. You're going to do whatever. There's always a way to hurt people. So what yeah. is the difference between... Mexican young men and American young men who become killers. Why don't Mexicans become school killers? I think in Mexico and many of these other countries, the degree of corruption is much more part of the culture and understood and accepted. It's known. There are cops with machine guns, soldiers with machine guns on the road. You know what's going on. What's eroding the sense of hope in in America? I think the, the, the blatant proliferation of corruption that goes under the tables and walks around in the night is destroying people. Here, we cover it up. It's the lies and the deceit. I'm not against America. I think America is a wonderful country. It's the shadow corruption that's destroying people and it's eroding hope. How do you have a sense of hope when you see big businesses like oil companies, for one, are making record profits on the backs of people that can't even survive anymore? How do you live with that? Take one more step. Why are these shooters so effective? The sheer accumulation of all these things. There are so many levels, so yes. many dimensions of yes. whether it's corruption or cruelty or it's too much. It's something you cannot ever win over. You cannot conquer all these things. And it erodes <laughs> your sense of hope in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, kids want to go out and get, I mean, people that are somewhat have some money, they want to buy a home, it gets more and more difficult. You take these underprivileged people, right? Mm. I'm not a bleeding heart. I'm really not. When you see that a politician or people with more and more money, they get away with, with, with murder, almost literally. And other people, they have to suffer and suffer and suffer. And injustice, whether you are consciously aware of it or not, is going to erode your sense of hope, your sense of belief. There's somebody looking out for you. 
Well, where's my future? What, what, what does all this have in store for me? So corruption cover is a big part of it. The objective way of describing inequity and imbalance in, in our society, in terms of facts and figures, you know, yes, yes. black and brown people and all yes. this stuff. But the experience of it, the actual human experience is one of injustice. That's yeah. an emotion. Exactly. And whether we think about it or not, on some level, we register. It's like you walk around radioactivity. You don't even know it sometimes, but it's going to register in your body. You put a child in a home with corruption, deceit going on. You know they're going to somaticize. They're going to feel it in their body. They're going to give evidence of this in their behavior. They're going to repeat it. Is There was a wonderful book called Depth Psychology and a New Ethic. It's all about a new ethic. And the old ethic is the enemies out there. Let's get them. And he said, you know, the enemies are also inside of us. Where are we guilty of these things? How many of our politicians ever talk about the fact that we've had genocide in this country? My point is repression is going to affect us whether we're aware of it or not. And so these shooters that are very disturbed people, they're porous. You know, it's like a window, a window that's broken, right? And the, and the wind and the rain and the sleet just runs right through it pounds through the broken glass, these issues pound through these kids and may become the carriers of no hope. They're carrying what I think many of us are feeling. They're porous in the sense that they have no filters. The stuff is just coming into them. But also they are probably more vigilant because they feel the danger. And so they are seeing more of it in any case. And it's coming into them because they can't manage it. Their whole system goes berserk. Exactly. And I don't think it's conscious. This is where an analyst can offer an important perspective, because what we don't know is still going to affect us. I really want you to say more about that, because that's, again, what stuck with me is the idea that the, these school shooters, this, and we're only talking about them as one segment of all the other things, but they are infected with all of this. You and I don't feel that we're infected with it. We're aware of it. But they are actually carriers. That's the language you used. Yeah. Dr. Michael Conforti is talking about school killings in America. This is Tidings on WPKN Radio. Can you say more about that? To stay with an image, let's say we're in a home right now, right? And there's a bad storm coming out. Bad storm Mm -hmm. outside. There's sleet, there's snow, there's ice, pounding rains, whatever. And we can look at it from the comfort of our own home. Maybe there's a fire going in the fireplace. We have a meal, cup of coffee, glass of wine. Wow, it's a hell of a storm. And we can watch it. We're not going to be destroyed by it. However, these kids, the windows are broken. The walls and the the roofs are broken. They leak. It's a leakage. That's the porousness I'm talking about. So they can't, they have no way of containing these emotions, no way of filtering it, no way of metabolizing or processing this. We're, you know, we're older. We have, we have an ego. We could say, my God, this is horrible. And, and I feel the corruption. What do we do? We vote and all these different things we do, right? We have our anger and our rage and disappointment. They don't have those capabilities. It's a very primitive, primitive psyche in that regard. So these emotions that are out in the zeitgeist right now, in the collective, they're blowing through these kids' psyches and they're saying, okay, look. Yeah, why should they have it? Why should they have it? And not only why should they have it, but I will never have it. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing. That's envy. I will never have it, so I will kill that which I will never have, so I don't have to see it. The time they get caught is when they get caught, but they've already been incubating this and, and being a carrier for a while. It's never the first time. It's just the first time we hear about it. 
And that's where the work on pattern recognition, which is what our whole institute is about, where it comes in. You, you look at the history of these kids. If you go into a school, I get the files of each kid. You know, I get 50 kids, you get a little file, little file, little file. And all of a sudden you get one file five inches thick, you know. And you say, I think we got an issue here. And you're right. They try and try again, usually. They, they know they're going to die, but they're already mm-hmm. dead inside, Hazel. These mm-hmm. kids are they're doing the shooting. They're already dead inside. They've got nothing to live for. So all these people that say, well, they want their moment of fame. They want this. I don't think they want fame because they're dead. They're already dead. They're zombies inside. I can say from 45 years of being a psychoanalyst, the spark is gone inside of them. The only thing that ignites them right now is I've got to kill that which I would never have. That's what's driving this trauma. Relate that again back to why America's number one. Is the difference between the way what America's supposed to offer Americans? America, both from a sociological and analytic perspective, we are masters of cover-ups. Mm-hmm. We, we've covered up the genocides we've had. We cover up the lies and deceit. We cover up all the assaults that big industry does. What's been covered up, number one, take genocide. We've had genocide, you know, we killed off the American Indian. And again, I'm not a bleeding heart. People in the audience are going to say he's a bleeding heart. I'm not. American Indians, what we did with slavery, what we've done in, in many third world countries, you know, and under the guise of being wonderful and helping other countries, we've done a lot of shadow activities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as an analyst, you're always trying to understand what, what's erupting. And Jung, one of the greatest analysts of our time, he applied this lens that I'm speaking about to what went on with the Holocaust. He said, what in God's name could be getting into the hearts of people that could make them do what they do? He said there was something from the dark unconscious that was erupting and taking over people, was possessing an entire nation. He said it's something that's part of the human condition, evil, he used, and he was the first to use the word. There's really no other way to talk about a mass psychosis like this. Then we have to understand why is it erupting now? Just look at history. Go back to the religious crusades and what we did to people. Under the guise of, of worshiping God, we've done how many atrocities to people from the beginning of time? And a lot of religion is an attempt to, what, control in some ways the escalation of violence and hatred. Find ways of prohibiting it. But you can't. It's like a volcano. You know it's going to erupt at some point. And as a pattern analyst, which is a lot of my work, you begin to see signs of it. You can begin seeing signs, studying signs. There's going to be an earthquake. There's something happening. You can see it in the population. I mean, you see right now, to me, I'm, it's very scary. What are you seeing right now? There's more hatred going on in this country than I've ever seen in my 70 years. Hate crimes are, are proliferating out of control. It's a cancer. I, I'm not looking to blame any one person, any one group. I'm looking at it as a phenomenon that's occurring in our culture. This is an epidemic right now. They, they, these are illnesses that are spreading in this country. We just had it the other day at the parade, right? The 4th mm-hmm. of July parade. Another time of happiness and joy for a lot of people. A time of liberation, independence. Why not go after them? The shooters got to be thinking on some level, I've got no independence. I've got nothing to celebrate. I've got nothing to send off fireworks for. So kill them all. Kill anything that carries hope. All the pieces that we're addressing from corruption to financial corruption to it all weighs on our psyche. You know, Freud said the work of psychoanalysis is to make conscious, unconscious dynamics. It was brilliant. We're not affected by things we see so much. We're affected by what we don't see. 
We're affected by these, these darker aspects. We're affected by the, by the corruption. We're affected by cover-ups. It sticks. And that's what I'm saying. That's part of what I think is infecting a lot of these shooters that are such damaged, damaged individuals to begin with. They're carrying the infection and they're carrying the stains in them and they're, and they're acting it out. You know, in many ways, we end up doing things to kill our future. We kill a sense of hope in our culture, the way it's going in our politics today. Do you think then that the more that we examine and articulate the bad things that we see going on around us, or the things that you've mentioned, are we in fact then contributing more to this loss of hope? And are we in fact inviting more of these consequences because of it? Are you asking by being able to articulate and seeing it? Is that your question? Yeah, you know, you're saying, I say the climate, you say the corruption here and the, and the business things, or whatever the things are. And we're talking about, we're saying it right now, you and I are talking about it. And by doing that, we are then implicitly feeling hopeless about it. We're not saying let's elect new politicians. We're not saying let's educate the, the leaders so that they understand the consequences of what's going on. We're not saying any of that. We're just saying it's terrible and it's getting worse. If we could begin articulating what these dynamics are, then you move to something that could help. It's not only gun control and not only policing and the schools even more. Yes, we need to do that. Once we can identify some of the features of what is encroaching on us and destroying our youth, then we're going to have some tools to do something about it. It's not just saying it's because of this and this and this, and then we shut up and go home and have our dinner. That would be pretty cruel. So how would you want to end this, this conversation? You know what I would love to see? I'll tell you. Thank you for that question. I would love to see somebody that's deeply regarded, like Elie Wiesel. And Elie Wiesel tried this. Einstein tried it. Somebody who's deeply regarded, go to the, to the leaders of the different nations, like say America right now, and say, you've got to know the effect of this stuff on your people, the effect of this, this rampant inflation, this rampant corruption and cover-ups, it's destroying your people. It's got to stop. You don't realize it, but when you do this, it's, it's a stain, it's a, it's a dart that's going into them each time we do it. And it's eroding the sense of hope in the future. Somebody's got to address the truth. Stop the lies and cover-ups. And, and with this, in terms of your question, in 1932-33, Einstein wrote a letter to Freud. The correspondence was published in a book called Why War? And he said, you know, Dr. Freud, you know, I, I'm a scientist, but you've been working with people. You've been working as an analyst with many dark emotions. Can you shed some light on why is it we still have this proclivity towards war? Freud said there is a dark beast that lurks inside of us, and there are things that feed it. What analysis tried to do was stop feeding it. And what I'm saying here is that we could find ways, and I think there are some ways, to stop feeding the beast of corruption and denial. And that could offer a little bit of hope. I really believe that. These lies and cover-ups affect the population in ways you can never imagine. We're seeing it as analysts and therapists and theologians and counselors and, and radio interviewers and all of it. We're seeing what it does. Wake up. The other piece is unconscious guilt. Unconscious guilt will take people down quickly almost anything. But to understand, we let it happen. In many ways, those shooters are part of us. Terrible to say, but those shooters are carrying the stench and the stain of what we've done as a collective. How many thousands of Indians did we kill? How many thousands of people did we enslave and make money off the backs of, of the black slaves? How many kids are we, are we destroying with the sexual slave industry? 
And I know people are involved in it. They said, Mike, you have no idea how many Washington politicians are involved in that stuff. Mm-hmm. As a collective, we cannot afford to allow the proliferation of guilt and malice on other people. It's so cruel. Religion has, and humanity has tried to expiate guilt from the beginning of time because we know guilt eradicates a good life. It eats away at your soul. It eats away at your home and your, and your life and your heart. You know? And we haven't found a way. I mean, we've had so many versions of, of confession and sin eaters and scapegoats since the beginning of time, but none of them really evolved enough of conscience to say, look, can I really honestly live with what I've done? Saying is to ask that question, is that a psychological problem or a religious problem? So it's a human problem. I think it goes beyond the limitation and confines of religion and psychology into a domain that we're not familiar with. It's mm-hmm. another world. It's a brilliant question you're asking. This is where psychology and religion has hit their limits. It's another door, mm-hmm. a door that we haven't gone before. In analysis, a big part of the work, Hazel, is, is helping somebody find a way to live with what they've done. It's an act of grace. I mean, grace mm-hmm. has got to enter your life to be able to be that honest with yourself and another. To look at yourself in the mirror and say, my God, it's true. I really did this. You said that you've had a lot of response and demand from Ukraine and Russia. Can you talk about that very briefly? Well, it's interesting. For some reason, the Russian-speaking population is Mm. really taken with this work. What they seem to be interested in is about the work of unconscious dynamics. It was a 1912 war. They lost 40 million people. Mm. They come home and install and kill another 20 million. And they say, we never talk about a Russian because every family members had people that they lost, every, every family. And I think they're hungry to understand something too. They're more aware of the cover-ups that go on over there. They, they've seen so much. The people in the Ukraine, the people in, in Venezuela, the people in Colombia, the people in other Latin American countries, they're much more aware of these issues than we are. And look, you know, part of that I said in my lecture, America is one of the youngest countries. And I think we suffer the follies of youth. It's going to be good. It's going to be beautiful. A little more glitter on the Christmas tree, a little more Christmas lighting. It's going to be better. It's not going to be better with that. We can't afford that anymore. It's a reckoning with very tough things. We do what kids do. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to count to 10 and, and the boogeyman's going to go away. It's not going to go away. We can't afford that anymore, Hazel. We, we can't afford to believe. We close our eyes. You go to confession, it's going to be better tomorrow. There's something, some kind of thing in our culture that is driving us crazy. I'm struggling like all of us, but I think I do have a certain perspective gained over 45 years of being an analyst to look at these unconscious dynamics and realize there's something taken over. There's something huge taken over, creating a kind of possession. That's clear. Something is permeating into these systems, psychologically, symbolically, and literally something is coming in through the cracks. We got to know what it is. And you ever think about why there's a proliferation of zombies and, and vampire movies? Zombies represent the dead that won't die. It keeps on going. It's, it's proliferating in our culture. This thing is not stopping. It hasn't been put to rest. We don't even know what the heck it is that we're fighting. We cover our eyes and we're going to repeat what we don't want to acknowledge. Cover your eyes all you want to, but we, we got to be able to get underneath while we're patrolling with, with more cops in the buildings and more surveillance mechanisms and more whatever. To go back to envy, that, that is the heart of the matter. Yes. We need to understand envy. Institute to study envy. 
Well, Melanie Klein, among others, did a very profound piece of work on it. Remember, envy's in response to something. Mm-hmm. Envy's in response to the erosion of us into hope and future. I hope that you'll take up some of this talking to these politicians. I'm understand. open. More and more doors are opening up. If there's ever any way that I can help you and do or get this thing moving in some way, you should let me know because I, I really understanding the power of the of this thinking. Think about it. I will. It's a beautiful, generous offer. Thank you so much, and I'll take you up on it. I really will. Thank you very much, Michael Conforti. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the work that you're doing, or the thinking you're doing. And please tell people how they can learn more about you and your work. Well, I started the Assisi Institute back in 1989, about 35 years ago. With the Assisi Institute, the International Center for the Study of Archetypal Patterns, one in Connecticut. And also, this is the Assisi Foundation, is the nonprofit arm, which is really doing all these studies right now. It's a, it's, it's a needed and meaningful perspective. Michael Conforti, thank you very much. You've been listening to Dr. Michael Conforti talking about school killings in America through his lens as a Jungian analyst. You can hear Tidings right here on the second Wednesday of the month at this time. And you can find my podcasts anytime you like on hazelkahn.com. Thank you for listening to WPKN. I'm Hazel Kahn.